0: Hello, this is Mona Tanja, past president of NCSM, and welcome to the NCSM podcast Learning with Leaders, the Game Changer series. Join me and my co-host John Giovanni as we sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders about how they are changing the game in mathematics education. Gandhi said, we need to be the change that we want to see in the world. So listen as we talk to mathematics leaders who are being the change that they want to see in mathematics education. We will learn about their inspiration, perceptions, and, of course, their game-changing actions. Mathematics leaders, we know that the status quo is unacceptable, so it's time to change the game. All right, that's right. It's time to change the game. Hello, I'm Mona Tanjev and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Game Changer series. John Giovanni and I are the co-hosts, and today we have the pleasure of talking to two game changers, in mathematics education, Dr. Christopher Childs, and Dr. Shelby Cole. As a teacher, professor, consultant, author, and member of senior leadership teams, Dr. Christopher Childs focuses on excellence in teacher content and pedagogical knowledge, equity, leadership development, and organizational change. His work is guided by his mantra, live life to the fullest, you only get one. Dr. Childs seeks to create a movement through educating, advocating, and inspiring individuals to pursue academic excellence. Due to his student-centered approach to teamwork, faculty, staff, and students recognize him as a visionary and collaborative leader. Dr. Childs earned his Doctor of Philosophy in Mathematics Education from the University of Central Florida, his Master of Science in Math Education from Nova Southeastern University, and his Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. We also have Dr. Shelby Cole. She is a designer at Student Achievement Partners who works with states, districts, publishers, and vendors on curating resources and learning opportunities in service of equitable mathematics instruction. Shelby previously served as the Director of Mathematics for the Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium, where she continues to serve as a member of the Technical Advisory Committee. She has received multiple awards from the National Association for Gifted Children for Research and for Curriculum Development. Dr. Kolb has taught at the high school and collegiate levels and holds a bachelor and master's degree in mathematics education and a doctoral degree in educational psychology, all from the University of Connecticut. So you must live in Connecticut, Ben, <laughs> or you did at one time, Shelley. So first of all, welcome both of you. We're excited to ha- be having this conversation with you today. Um, Before we dig into the the meat of our conversation, I'd like to hear like your story a little bit and what's brought the two of you together today.
1: Um, So let's see, Dr. Childs, I think I met you maybe two and a half to three years ago. Um, And I had gone to some of his sessions, I think at an NCTM conference and went to one of his little social hours that he was holding there. And afterwards I said, hey, do you wanna you know, get together and talk about math education with me and what's going on in the country? And so he and I got together. Um, we actually both live in Florida now. He's over in the Orlando area, I'm in the Tampa area. So we met over in Lakeland and had a great conversation and soon after um, I had asked if he would co-advise the math state collaborative with me which is state leaders that get together three times a year and really think about um, issues of mathematics education that that are sort of common across states. And so I'm really fortunate to have met him and now to have worked with him for, um, I think we're going on three years now.
2: I think that's it. Easiest way how the story went. So we reached out, we met up, and I was apprehensive at first, like, what is this person going to talk about? But then we instantly clicked on some mutual things of what we want to do in the field and being unapologetic together ever since. Almost probably gotten fired a couple times ever since from different things that we work on, but that's the thing that we bond upon. We go relentlessly on behalf of students especially students whose voices are purposefully excluded from what's going on in the narrative.
3: Well, speaking of that, um, it connects right with the opening Acknowledgement um, in which it says, for every teacher who has the courage to change. So this new series from NCSM is about mathematics leaders who are are changing the game of mathematics education. Um, And along those lines, what does it mean to you to be a game changer?
1: so um i'd like to back out of that question just for a moment um most of the i know this is a podcast for most folks listening and so um i'm white and so i want to say that most of the leaders that dr childs and i work with are also white leaders and so i think that's an important thing um and so i decided it was important for me to sort of tell my personal story in this space which I don't actually know if I've ever told this story in a public space before, Um, but I was in my early 20s in the College of Education at the University of Connecticut and had a class with a white male professor who talked to us about identity and privilege. And he even acknowledged that all of his identity markers, all of his personal identity markers lived on the side of privilege. Um, and then he went a little bit further and really started talking about racism, Um, and it was the first time in in 20-something years that somebody had explicitly talked about racism, and he he read off a list of things that white people do in the presence of Black people, Um, and so some examples are they will pull their purse closer when a Black person approaches, they will change direction or walk further away, um, they will observe Black people more closely in a retail space. And so I think many white people can just say, no, nah, that stuff doesn't happen. Right? It's easy to dismiss it when it's not happening to you. Um, but I went out and looked for it. So in my early 20s, I started looking for that stuff. And and it was happening everywhere. It, it was very observable. Um, and I, I think that changed me, like this idea that all of this stuff, somehow I was able to go 20 years without n- noticing it. And I hate the phrase unconscious bias because I feel, feel like it gives us a pass to call something that is racism. Well, I didn't know. Um, and then even more vividly, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, waiting for a table at a restaurant and my purse was o- over two feet away from me. And I just remember people walking by and a black couple approaching. I'm like, I wonder if I hadn't heard that list, would that be me pulling it closer? And like, I hate to admit what the answer probably was, right? And so before we start talking about game changers, I just wanna say like, as a a white leader in the space, like there is often so much internal work and admission that has to happen first. Before we can begin to change s- systems for, for students to thrive, we, there is so much work that we have to do individually to admit our own history, not just study the history of what has happened, but what is our own history. And so I'm grateful for that moment. I, I, like I said, I've never talked about it out loud, I don't think, because it's very hard. It's hard to admit those things about ourselves, but we have to in order to move forward and do this work.
3: Shelby, I think you are right there in the game changer conversation, right? Because a game changer has to look inside themselves first. And, and so I, I think that is part um, of that question without a doubt. And sorry, Chris, for, for cutting you off. Please. We'll no, just, just
2: I want to piggyback on what Shelby was saying because one of the things when Shelby and I agreed with this, we we threw out a title to NCSM and, we're, and Shelby and I, we don't sugarcoat it. We said, what is white leaders' role in dismantling racism in mathematics education? And some will look at it Chris, all right, Shelby, why, why does it have to be the white leader thing just off the rip? Because at the end of the day, a lot of folks love to talk about change in the space. They love to talk about it, it feels good, but you have to be willing to change within the space also. And a lot of times, anytime it comes to the work that Shelby and I do, especially as it relates to dismantling racism education, folks always try to find where the melanated folks, they can lead this work. And then everyone wants to step back. And then when the fire gets hot, they even step back even further. So we want to push in even more because let's be real. Majority of our mathematics education leaders identify as white. So while we can honestly speak to the broad breadth of all the folks in math education, we as in our space, Shelby and I, we have to speak to the leadership. And that's who that's who we directly speak to in a lot of these matters. And one of the things I want to posit, going back to your question, what does it mean to be a game changer? A couple of things come to mind. First, are we willing to even acknowledge inequities exist? And not inequities in the rural, you know, folks go, you know, globally, no, I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm not talking about inequities in the United States, that general sense, not just talking about inequities in the education system. I want to make it personal to our listeners. Are you willing to acknowledge that inequities exist in the educational environment under your purview that's the first thing are you even willing to acknowledge that and the cool thing i love data, because men lie women lie numbers don't and data tells me the story in any environment i go what are some educational inequities existing under your purview okay the second piece i ask everyone when you think about what does it mean to be a game changer at this point are you a leader or a messenger In 2020, during the pandemic, we found out a lot of our titled leaders are really a bunch of messengers. All the times that folks had opportunities, and listeners, I'm talking to you, don't hang up this and cut it off and fast forward. Think about all the times you had in the past year to lead a bold decision, to change status quo, to make something better for someone else. How many times did you do that? Or how many times did you go, hey, someone told me I'm just doing my marching orders or this can't happen. This can't happen. Because one thing I know is about leaders. They figure out what they want and what they care about. If I told my math and my math leaders out here tomorrow, hey, everybody, we're going to do some fact fluency stuff. Every leader in the world can figure out, oh, my gosh, yes, best thing smoking. Let's do it. But like I say, let's talk about these inequities. All of a sudden no one has answered or everyone has an excuse. Or let me pause on that part. So when you come to being a game changer in the space, you got you need to look in the mirror. If you're driving, look in the rearview mirror quickly and keep driving. If you're listening at home, go in the bathroom, pause it and come back. But are you a leader in this space or are you really just a glorified messenger? We have enough messengers in this space. We need folks that are willing to be bold to take action to ensure every child receives a high-quality mathematics education experience. If you're not willing to do that, are you willing to pass the baton to someone else? We don't need seat holders. We don't need people that want the title. If you want a title, call me. You can come work with me. I just give you a fancy title. You know, chief, academic, leader, liaison, genius of math education. I give you a fancy title if that's what you want. But if we look at the data, you all listener, are data folks. I know you love to do assessment. And Shelby and I talk about assessment a little bit. The data is saying there are certain groups of students who are not getting educational experiences for mathematics at high quality, year after year. At some point as a leader, we have to own it. It can't be passing the buck continually. You have to be bold in this space. Are you willing to do that? That's a yes or no question as you listen. Pause. Ask yourself and look in the mirror. Am I willing to be bold? Am I willing to do it? Or just be honest. Hey, Chris. Hey, Shelby. I'm just a glorified messenger. That's all I do. I give you more respect in the space as opposed to, Chris, I'm a leader. All right, it's time to lead. Uh, yeah, not this Not this time.
0: It brings me, I want to step back for a second because you, you, as you guys opened up with your first comment, I heard dismantling racism. I heard inequities. And I know just from my work and I know you all know that equity is is thrown around a lot in terms of what happens with instruction what happens with teaching and learning. So in your, from your perspective has equity become just a buzzword in education.
1: And how do we change that. So. Um... You know, once a word exists in education, it usually becomes a buzzword, but the fact is like words are just words. You know, I work in, at Student Achievement Partners, right? We put out a lot of documents and documents are just documents, right? So none of this stuff actually matters until somebody converts it into something that is actually, that is action. Um, And so in our work, we are often asking, Who's actually doing the work, right? So we can make turn equity from a buzzword into something that actually produces equity for students by saying it's not just a word, it is an action. And who is doing the work that is creating spaces where Black students, where Indigenous students, where queer students, where transgender students, where all of our students can thrive socially, emotionally, and academically? And so, everything is a word is just a word, right? And yes, it has meaning. And some of us use that word, but it's the people who are putting action to that word. Those are the people that we want to talk about. Those are the game changers.
2: Just because it's a podcast and people love to take sound bites nowadays, I want to jump back and then jump forward. I want to jump back to this piece where I stated dismantling racism in mathematics education. Don't take that sound bite out. Like, I know y'all listeners, some people may listen. We're saying racism in mathematics education. We're not saying that mathematics is racist. We're looking at the educational system for mathematics and the impacts of it. Just in case someone wants to, you know, take a sound bite and get a clip. No, that's the whole clip. So uh, we can try that game another day. But going back to this piece of equity, just a buzzword. But we have to first think about who gets to define words. Where did words even come from? And when you really think about that whole piece, defining words, where the words come from, some human being at some point in time created the word equity. Some human being or beings over time created working definitions. And understanding over time, these definitions have probably changed. Right now, we're seeing before our eyes how words are changing their definitions and meaning. So going back to Shelby's point, it really is not just, it's equity a buzzword, it's what you're doing about it. And then Principal Kafele says at it best, it's not even about doing equity. Like, I'm, I actually hate the word equity because everybody now, now everything is equity. Think about this podcast. We have two persons that identify as male, two persons that identify as female. That was an equitable podcast. On the, At the end of the day, it's not about doing equity. Are we willing, as math educated leaders, education leaders in the space, are we willing to become equity? Where you live it, where you breathe it. It becomes a way of life, and you don't need the word whatsoever. So, when we think about it being a buzzword, right? yeah, everybody, and some of you driving now or in your desk in the office just wrote the word equity down for some of you doing later. Scratch it off, become equity, live it, breathe it, make everything that you do. And we don't even need the word.
0: Yeah, I, I wanna reiterate what you said, Chris because uh, getting ready for the podcast, I listened to your um, coffee and conversations, dismantling racism in mathematics education. And I loved the way you described the difference between math, math isn't racism. It's math isn't racist, but it, there's dismantling racism in math. There's a different way of looking at it. So if you want to learn more, you need to listen to the, the, <laughs> the coffee and conversations, because it was well, I was like, I hadn't thought of it that way. I really appreciated the, the lens of looking at the English behind it. So anyway, I thought I'd add that in there.
3: So I wanna um, jump back for a second, Chris, because you you referenced assessment a moment ago and um, I wanna hear more about that really right now because when you talk about equity is just a word, it's, this is about action. And I think about assessment, um, uh, I wanna hear what you have to say, you and Shelby have to say about that and how it overlaps uh, with, with this message.
2: It's funny, if you all are listening to the podcast, if you know Dr. Cole and I, we point at each other all the time, in real time, so imagine in the video we we'll point at each other, you go first, <laughs> um, but Dr. Cole is a resident ex- expert in the assessment, but my thing with assessment, folks, what is the purpose of the assessments that you're using, and going back to his leadership piece, think about how many assessments students under your purview take every year, I was working with the school, I have to be very you know, like CYAish nowadays, and all that I do. I was working with the school. I won't even say where in the country. It was a middle school, and I was talking about to them about how many assessments are you giving students? And we, through calculation, from quizzes to unit tests to benchmarks to end of year tests in math alone was about thirty assessments. And mind you, this school scores were very bad. They were below bad. And I was like, Are you giving thirty set assessments? I said, now think about every course students take in middle school. They take an ELA, English language arts course. They were taking social studies, they are taking science. And it was about 30 assessments in those. And I was like, think about all this assessment data that you're doing, all this data that you are collecting, and nothing's changed. And I, I actually asked them, I said, do you think you're assessing enough? They're like, uh, yeah. I said, don't you think you need to like probably cut back? Yeah, Chris, we're getting way too many. So what are you gonna do? We're going to keep assessing. I was like, (laughs) at what point do we? And a lot of you listening, I want to challenge you again, pause, take some notes. How many assessments are given under your purview? And then I know Dr. Cole is going to jump in. What's the meaning of assessments? We're doing some work outside of this on humanizing assessments and what does that mean? But we really need to think about what is the purpose of assessments? What are we doing with the data that we get? And is it even useful? And nine times out of 10, we're literally assessing for the sake of assessing. We're giving quizzes because the book has them. Unit tests, the book has them. But, but Chris, our district needs a benchmark every two weeks. Let's give it. Oh, Chris, guess what? We need to do another assessment for the school because the benchmark that is is not as good as the school dad. All right, let's give another assessment. At what point do we realize these are human beings? These are kids. What are we trying to do with them? Are we trying to assess to make companies money? Yes. You know, y'all know me by now. I call out everybody. Are we assessing because companies want to make money off assessment data? Or are we actually doing meaningful humanizing assessments to actually use the data to make a difference in students' lives? Or since we're hey, going there probably a little bit later, I got one more. Then I'm going to be quiet. Dude. No, go. go, or, go, are go we, or are we the type of folks, you know, we use assessments to create these great intervention programs? You know, the intervention programs at the hey, Chris, we're in the pandemic, the kids are behind. We got to assess them. Okay. What are we going to find out? They're behind? All right, let's assess them. Boom. We'll assess them at the beginning of year. We got this great intervention program. We paid a whole lot of money for it. It's probably not going to work. Now this kid is stuck in an intervention program, but there's never an exit pl- an exit place in place for the intervention. It's easy to get an intervention. You haven't notice that? It's very easy to get in them. Take a test. Get the score. All right, you're in interventions. Then you're stuck for the rest, pretty much the rest of your educational career to get out the intervention so how many of you listen have an exit plan for interventions Chris I got to score a certain level on the test you mean an arbitrary test that you know they're not going to score well on but guess what you got an intervention program and it's growing but you've never fixed your core instruction problem all right let me require an assessment Dr. Cole take it
3: no no, before Dr. Cole goes Dr. Childs you make a great point and and this is something I can't wait to reiterate with my team and you know we use data we know all these data points about students, but we don't know who they are as individuals and don't take advantage of knowing that and and valuing that information and and using it as well. And I think that you really spoke to that to me right now. And um, Dr. Cole, I'm sorry, I know you're going to jump in there, but I just didn't want to lose that thought before, before your piece.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I like to do is, and I don't even know if this is a word, but to desynonymize testing and assessment, right? Because assessment actually does have a purpose, like it is valuable to understand. And, you know, there are some folks in the field who are really thinking about the idea of assessment through an asset lens. And so I'm doing a ton of work right now in this grading and assessment space. And when you actually look at even, even if you take just a regular test, my kids bring home their tests all the time and they have all these X all over them. If you're on my Twitter, you'll see, I'm always tweeting all these X's. And like, when you actually look at it and instead ask like, how much math does this child know? You get a really different answer. Like I just tweeted one the other day where my child got, um, five out of six wrong. And then when you look at, those six problems through the lens of what the standard was actually expecting, she has almost a full understanding. And so the data that we're getting are are not even really reliable indicators when you think about it from an approach of, are they meeting the standards? Because we are still stuck in really old sort of ways of gathering data where the biggest issue is we've developed systems that focus more on sort of, I don't even wanna say what students can't do because you don't actually get evidence of that. (laughs) You only get evidence like that they got these things wrong. And yet if you go and follow up in a conversation with the student and you start talking about their work, like they know a lot. And so we aren't giving them nearly enough credit for how much they're actually coming with and with the lived experiences that they're bringing and how they were thinking about the problem. And so I, I do need us to sort of de anonymize There are tests, the things that we give, but assessment serves a valuable role in education if we think about it more through this lens of, you know, I think it's defined originally as to sit beside a student, right, to sit sit beside. Um, So yeah, we're doing a ton of work in that space, but there is a lot to, there's a lot to unlearn, a ton to unlearn, and even folks who work in the space of leveraging students' assets will freely admit like they still fall back and and look at, oh, well, they didn't do, right, (laughs) instead of what did they do? Um, So that's the space we're working in. And I'm hoping that we see a lot more movement in that direction in the coming years.
2: And Dr. Cole, you mentioned you were on Twitter. What's your Twitter? In case people want to like reach out and follow you because you tweet some pretty good stuff. They're very good.
1: (laughs) It's a funny, like my Twitter handle is at Shelby with an I, Cole, C-O-L-E one. And I thought I put the one there because I created a new account, but it turns out like there's somebody not named Shelby who has Shelby Cole without the one. Or
0: Shelby, how old are your children? Is it your children? Yes. Why well, you see them behind me? Um, no, I'm, oh. I'm just, I'm just getting a gauge for how long your school districts are going to have to um, celebrate. Love me,
1: right? Um, my my children are 22, 17, um, 11, and nine. So okay. they have at least nine more years to love me. I, I wrote um, one of my articles. No, I think it was a president's
0: message. I celebrated the fact that my son graduated from high school. And I think that the teachers at that school probably um, celebrated as well as that they had no more tons of children attending that school because I was a parent at the school for nine years and the the high school teachers, they loved me so much and were super (laughs) excited. I did not tweet about it, but I did have some crucial conversations about grading and assessment um during those nine years because assessment is one of those things that it just has become cyclical like it's something we've done we've always done it that way and we're just going to continue to do it that way without actually thinking about what that process does to students right so um which leads me to the next piece of it is if we know there are processes in our buildings in our systems that are not equitable for students and are not you know are not creating a space I like how I actually wrote it down I think creating spaces where all students can strive socially and academically right if we're not creating those spaces what what role do we as a math leader play in creating these more equitable classrooms or or systems what are things that we can do
2: so first we as leaders have to realize we're not super um super people we're not we don't a lot of us get a title and get a role and put on a cape and think we know all the answers because i've done dot 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 look at my resume i've made it i've arrived uh we get to all of us on this podcast we get to work with some of the best and brightest minds in the country probably in the world in the work we do and as we sit down and have conversations we all collectively realize we're still learning and we're still growing and for our listeners that should give you the understanding you're still learning and you're still growing. Folks come up to me all the time and have it figured out. I'm like, how do you have it figured out when the folks that you're even studying, let's say it's assessment, they don't have it figured out, but you got it figured out. So we first have to humble ourselves and understand one, it's not one of us. And then two, as leaders, who are we building around us to do this sense-making of what is happening? It can't just be you. It can't just be a homogeneous group of folks It has to be a diverse group of folks working together based upon the identities which are served by the United States school system. A lot of folks get hung up. Chris, in my district, we're very homogeneous. Nope, think about beyond your district, across the spectrum, who is making these decisions with you? Who are you working with? Who are you collaborating with? When you have different lived experiences in the room helping you make decisions, you make better decisions. I know Shelby is gonna speak to bringing students to the decision-making table. How often do we actually listen to students, actually involve them in decision-making? Another piece is families, an untapped resource. They live in the community. They they will be, families will be in that community longer than you. <laughs> you're gonna come and go from whatever education environment you're in. The school may actually shut down. That community is there. It has deep roots in history. But again, we're so, I have all the answers and not thinking if you wanna go quick, go by yourself. If you wanna go, fir- well, if you wanna to go to a quick place, go fast, go by yourself. If you wanna go further, you bring people with you. And that's the work that Shelby and I do is thinking about who can we bring along with us? Does it go a little slower? Yep, we know we can go further. But as you look to address these inequities, a lot of times you may think this is the solution. When, when you talk to the community, you talk to other stakeholders, you realize, oh, this is a better solution for what we're trying to address. If any of us had the answer of the magic pill, Education to be better overnight. We don't. Collectively, we have solutions, but a lot of times we're so hung up on titles. You know, Chris, that person doesn't have a doctorate. They can't say anything. They're a dropout. They probably know more about life in school than you do. Are we willing to let other people put them at the decision-making table, give them the same opportunities that we have? All of us are in these places, especially our listeners. You're in the role you have because someone gave you a chance. I don't care how good you are. Are we willing to do the same thing for others to make better decisions on behalf of these students who deserve better? Dr. Cole.
1: So, um, you know, the work that Chris and I do primarily, we do a lot of work together, but the, the primary thing where we started was this work with states and One of the big things that we have tried to do in that space is to help them recognize their distance from the students, and so we have all of these levels to education right the state to the district to the school to the classroom and then to the student and then out to the families and community. And so there are all of these levels. And for a long time, that state collaborative was bringing in people who are traditionally defined as experts. And as Chris said, like we are trying to redefine what that word means, because we believe that expertise also counts lived experience. And so often lived experience gets gets dismissed. students are are the most like undervalued resource in their own, like this is their experience. Like they're the ones that we have so much data from students saying like, if I could change my mathematical experience here are some of the things that I wish were included, you know I just looked at survey data recently from from students out in Los Angeles like they, they know what they want to study and none of that stuff is reflected in the in the mathematics curriculum. Right, even some of the newer ones that do a better job with standards are, are still not reaching out to the things that students feel are valuable for them to study that allow them to see themselves and like there this is probably the appropriate time to like shout out Gina Rivera who brought us here because if you look around her K8 school <laughs> like it is a beautiful place. The, the lives of the students who go there are centered on every wall. They show up at school and they don't just see somebody who looks like them. Like they see me, like that's me. And I can do anything that I want. And I'm going to show my my friends and all of the people around me that this is me. And so she has created an absolutely brilliant, beautiful space where, where students want to, they want to show up.
3: Yeah, so... Your message is about action and advocacy. I hope our listeners take that away. But as we come to a close tonight, I I really want to ask both of you, Dr. Cole and Dr. Childs, what's one thing that you you want the listener to take away from from their listen um, of this podcast today?
2: I'm a firm believer. and I know I go hard on leaders about passing the baton, et cetera. But I'm a firm believer and what's unique about this podcast in this space, you're listening, to, everything happens for a reason in this life. Even you listening to this podcast at this moment, you're hearing it for a specific reason. I don't know, you may not even know right now. But what I want all of our listeners to do is, uh, and our leaders, and again, leaders, a broad based term, I want you to really just take a deep look in the mirror and, and then ask yourself yes, you're in this role in this moment. Yes, we may have challenged you. Some of you may be like, I'm switching up this leadership thing. That's perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, in this moment in time, if not you, then who? If you don't do your part in what you are placing this leadership role to do, the next person behind you can't do that part. It's kind of like if you ever seen a track race on the 4 by 100 the first person starts the race, then the next person gets the baton. Then the next person gets the baton. So right now, you have the baton. The question is, are you going to do what you need to do, or are you just going to be silent? And understanding silence means complicity. And all that's been happening over the past year, and depending upon where you're listening, this is toward the end of 2021. But thinking about 2021, 2020, we've been in the worldwide pandemic. You've had ample opportunities to make a difference and to make change. Have you done that? And if you haven't, you still have breath in your body to make a difference and make change. If you're not gonna do it, who do you expect to do it? The honest is on you and that person in the mirror because I tell my team all the time, when you're 90 years old on the porch in their rocking chair, what's really gonna matter? What difference have you made? Or you're gonna be 90 years old in that rocking chair, like crap, I literally wasted life in making a difference and making a change because of whatever reason. If not you, then who?
1: So, um, I live, I think about 2000 miles from where I taught and my students, former students still show up at my door. Um, and what I really hope is that like, like school doesn't have to suck, <laughs> right? Like I love learning as an adult and my kids come home and they love to learn stuff and, what I really hope that people start to think about, like regardless of what your space is, like how often do you get to go talk to students, and what are you looking for? Because what I'm looking for is I want to see children who want to show up and learn mathematics. Um, and I know that it's possible. You know, I taught algebra one, <laughs> like I, you know, that's that's not like a that's a hard sell to kids but like it, it it can be fun like it can be engaging it can be relevant and so what do you see when you walk around your space as you engage with children as you look at children because I think if we just observe their behavior and what they're thinking and what they're doing like we can see that there's something that needs to be addressed and that we we do have the power to change. Uh, I,
0: first of all, I wanted to say thank you to Dr. Cole and Dr. Childs for the conversation today. You know, at this moment in time, we definitely need bold leaders to create space for these crucial conversations and reflection, right? I think you guys both started with, you have to start with yourself. That was the opening of our conversation. You have to start by looking within, and we, that we need to do that. If we want to reimagine our math classrooms where all students feel valued and they see themselves. As a mathematician, and they see that see their thinking is is honored, we have to start somewhere. So I just appreciate you guys' conversation today, um, and thank you very much.
3: Thanks.
1: Thank you for having us.
3: Thank you all.
0: We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation, and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM leadership in mathematics education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag #NCSMBold. Thanks again.